As stated, our morning scripture reading is from Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Romans 13, 11 through 14. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strive and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make, your, make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You've already been told that we appreciate your presence, but I will repeat it. We are glad you're here. We have a 6 p.m. worship service, and we would hope that your choice would be to come and be a part of that service as well, and hopefully we'll benefit from meeting with others who share that common interest. I've been thinking recently a lot about words, words, even small and familiar words, and how important those words can be. The the length of a word does not always indicate the weight it carries. And among those words, consider the little word now, N-O-W. That word appears 2,142 times in the New King James Version of the Bible in over 2,100 verses. That fact alone might make you think that the word has some consequence to it. And then when you begin to examine it further, when you look at the way the word is used In the Koine Greek, the language in which the New Testament originally appears, I think you see that the word has a lot of variety to it. Here's what I mean by that. There are six different Greek words, all adverbs, that could and are translated in the Bible by the word now. There are also three more words conjunctions or particles of speech that could be and are translated in the New Testament by the word now. Nine words. Now, settle down for a moment and let me set your mind at ease. I'm not going to go over all 2,142 times the word is used in the Bible And I'm not even planning on trying to bring up all the ways those nine Greek words are used in the New Testament. But I do want us to think about the word now. Actually, part of this is prompted by a statement that I read again recently. Someone observed that when the question is asked, What time is it? 
The answer in reality is always the same. The time is now. Isn't that true? Because you see, the past is over, it's gone, the future has not come, and so what we have is now. The time is now. You know, if you have your Bible, and I hope you have your Bible, but if you don't, you have access to a Bible in front of you. I want you to look at James 4 for just a moment. James 4 Very familiar verses, 13 and 14. And and I want to suggest to you that we could read James 4, 13 and 14 with a slightly different emphasis, and I'm going to do that. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, Spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Come now. Hey, right now, think about the fact that you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Because the only time you have is now. The other reason for thinking about the word now has to do with two passages that are somewhat arresting, that are found in letters that Paul wrote to the church at Rome and to the church at Corinth. And both of those passages, which we're going to look at momentarily, emphasize the importance of now, but each of them has eternal implications. Let's examine them briefly. You heard the reading from, first, from Romans 13. John did a good job of that. I want you to go back there. And let's think, first of all, about the now of spiritual alertness. Verse 11. And do this, knowing the time, that it is high time to wake out of sleep, and for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. You will notice, as I have read from the New King James Version, that the word now appears twice in that verse. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Now I know that if you're using a couple of different translations, the first now is not there. If you're using the ESV or the NIV, it will say something like, the time has come, the time has come. I want to assure you that I looked in the Greek text, and the word now is there both times. It's two different words, but they're both translated now. And so it is appropriate to say, now is the high time, and now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It's literally true. I think what we need to be aware of and think about is that these words are written to Christians. These are people who, according to chapter 6, have been baptized into Christ. They are people who should be walking in newness of life, Romans 6 verse 4. And yet the call of Paul is for them to awake out of sleep. This is not natural sleep. 
This is spiritual stupor. And what Paul is doing is trying to alert these Christians, note, to a danger. You see, spiritual sleep cannot be pleasing to God. It was not pleasing then, it's not pleasing now. And what you and I have to face, I think, is the fact that if the Christians at Rome could drowse, be drowsy spiritually, Christians in Rosenberg can be drowsy spiritually too. They, they were not unique in their sleepiness. And what Paul argues for in Romans 13 is immediate action. He says precious time has passed. The night is far spent. And he says our ultimate salvation, that is our eternal salvation, for which we hope is closer. Because it's closer, we must be ready for it. And the action that he prescribes is twofold. Cast off and put on. That term about casting off could literally apply to taking off a dirty piece of clothing. And the analogy is sinful living has to stop. It must cease. We get rid of it. That's not an uncommon urging in the New Testament. I'm going to do a little Bible reading now. Look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 22. Is this a dominant theme? Yes, it is. Ephesians 4:22. That you put off, remember written to Christians, concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Now turn over to Colossians, to a different group of people, chapter 3 and verses 8 and 9. The same apostle would write, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Look at 1 Peter 2 and verse 1. Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Got to get rid of some stuff. That old way of life is no good. God doesn't want you to remain in it. You have come to newness of life and that life better be different from your old life. But please note that it's not just getting rid of sin. 
a positive action is to follow the putting off. You get rid of the dirty stuff, and now you put on something that's more appropriate. Christianity is not just a matter of ceasing to do wrong. It is a matter of growing to do right, creating a new, healthy, spiritual life. Romans 13, 11 reminds us of what should have already been done, but sometimes hasn't been done. You see, if we're honest with ourselves, we will admit sin is not easily eliminated from our lives. I'm afraid that some people become Christians thinking that sin is never again going to be a problem in their life. Oh, I've I've won this battle. It'll never be a struggle again. The truth is that Satan may try even harder to trip us up and to trick us and to trap us. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. The devil is devious. And, and just when we think we've conquered everything that we should have conquered, there is a temptation right in front of us that we might succumb to and go back to doing the things we hated that we were doing before we became Christians. The approach that we must take, Paul says in verse 13, let us walk properly as in the day. We're not stumbling around in darkness anymore, shouldn't be. We've come to the light. And because we're in the light, we have to walk like we're living in the light. And if we live like we should, we're really not afraid for people to see anything and everything we do. We're not ashamed of anywhere we go. We're not ashamed of the people we associate with. We're not ashamed of the words we say because we're walking in the light. Remember that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. We walk in the light, but we're light. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We don't live in the light so that we brag on ourselves, but we live in the light so glory can be given to God by what's happened to us and the way we are showing that that's serious in our lives. One of the shameful, hard-to-get-over things is Christians who betray the idea of walking in the light. And, and, and just as we can become advertisements for Christianity by walking in the light, when we return to darkness and do those things that are evil, we become an advertisement for living in the devil's darkness. 
the other passage is also written by Paul, and it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you would turn there, please, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Again, this was written to Christians. And if you're familiar with 2 Corinthians at all, the letter that Paul wrote, you know that much of this letter is devoted to Paul attempting to convince his critics of his honest motive and of his genuine ministry. Sad that Paul would even have to defend himself, but he had to. Because some were saying that he was a second-rate apostle, that he didn't really match up with others. And so Paul has to talk, not because he wants to, but because he has to, about his work and the ministry of reconciliation. But part of the reconciliation is not reconciliation only to God, but be reconciled to us. And in doing that, Paul has to make some pretty strong statements. And this is one of them although it is tempered with pleading. The plea is this. Don't make worthless the grace of God, which they had received and which they would receive by then failing to take advantage of their salvation. In doing that, Paul quotes from Isaiah 49 verse 8. That is in the first part of verse 2. And then he draws from that quotation. Many are not familiar with Isaiah 49. The, the, the quote in Isaiah 49, 8 is actually messianic. That is, it is the foreshadowing of Christ. And, and it is an assurance so sure that it's actually stated as an accomplished fact. In an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. That wasn't written just to the Jews. That was written to Jesus, the Messiah, the coming Lord. The Father would, and it is so certain that it's stated as if it's already happened, the Father heard the Lord and helped him, and because of that, salvation became possible. Now the second part of verse 2, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, is the now part. And Paul says, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It was now in Paul's day, it is now today. What he's saying is, now it is an opportune time, a time of gracious provision on the part of God. A provision of salvation. 
and God's plan developed over the centuries of time reached its conclusion in Christ and now through Christ it's possible for sins to be washed away by his blood. John could write in the final book of the New Testament, Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his blood. You and I, hopefully, can rejoice that salvation's day is now. That this is the acceptable time. This is God's accepted time. And to fail to appreciate what a glorious time this is would be a shame and a pity. And to lose this salvation would be not just a pity, it would be tragic. And yet remember that Paul says, don't make the grace that you've received worthless. Now, dear friends, if that doesn't conflict with the idea that many people have called the impossibility of apostasy, that is, once saved, always saved, I don't know what could conflict with it. Because you see, if Paul is warning against receiving God's grace in vain, and that doesn't mean what it clearly says, then Paul is just wasting space and not writing by inspiration. He clearly believed, because God, God's Spirit was causing him to write that you could waste God's grace even though you were saved. We need to remember that what is true for us can be true for others. That's why you and I need to be so concerned about teaching and preaching the gospel. And frankly, we've stopped doing much of that. We spend a lot of time entertaining ourselves and having rich fellowship, and I'm not, I'm not talking about fellowship being bad, but if you think the church in this present moment is truly evangelistic, you better look again. This is a day of salvation. What does that mean? Well, it means something wonderful to us, but what does it mean to others who are unsafe? Shouldn't it be wonderful to them? And how will they know that it's wonderful, that it's now God's accepted time, unless we take it to them? If you've attended many worship services at a place where a church of Christ meets, you likely have heard a preacher use 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, the second part at least, as a part of an invitation to end a sermon. And I hope that when a preacher does that, I hope when I've done that, I understand that that wasn't originally the way it was written, but it's understandable why you would want to do that. It's understandable why a preacher would say at the end of a lesson, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation because there's a tendency to put off what ought to be done now. You ever have a toothache and thought, oh, that's going to go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know better. You ever hear a, a noise in your, 
engine compartment of your car and say, well, if I just don't think about that, it won't hurt anything. Maybe it winds up a major repair. We have a tendency to say, not now. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it, but not now. And so preachers and their invitations often urge people, this is the only time you have is now. We often give tacit agreement to the fact of the uncertainty of tomorrow. I don't believe there'd probably be anybody here who is sensible who would say, yes, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But do we really believe that? If all of us believed that, we would not let a single day go by without being certain of our salvation. If you understand that now is all you've got, you would say, I want to be sure I am right with God now. Both the Christian and the non-Christian need to realize this is salvation's day. A more acceptable time will not come. Once your life is over, once you are on the other side, as we sometimes say, now will become not now. The Bible does not hold out a hope of you being saved after being lost eternally. And so the question must be asked, why not now? Why not now? Look into your own heart and ask yourself, am I ready for eternity? I think if you're a Christian, you need to ask yourself, am I living now in such a way that my salvation is truly important to me and correct with God. And if you're not a Christian, dear friend, we have great concern for you. Because now is the only time you can be certain of. And if you put off obeying Christ, and it becomes not now, you will have all eternity to regret it. If you need to respond to the invitation to put on Christ in baptism, to be restored as a Christian who is not living as you should, we invite you to do that while we stand and sing together.